There have been a good number of changes over the years to the curriculum at Cairn. For more than 100 years, the university has been steeping our students in Christ and His Word. But the structure, application, experience, and majors offered has obviously grown greatly since our founding. Students at Cairn this fall will have a new experience as it relates to the core curriculum. Now much work has gone into this intentional structure and change, and today my hope is that you who are listening will have a clear understanding of this new and innovative structure. This should also encourage you, if you are an alum, that Cairn is continuing to provide the kind of education you benefited from while not shrinking back from making critical adjustments for the benefits of our students. You're listening to the Cairn 10 podcast, where we bring our alumni back inside Cairn University. Well, I'm joined today by three key individuals who had a strong hand in shaping these changes. Dr. Keith Plummer is the newly appointed Dean of the School of Divinity. Dr. Matt Mikulak is a professor in the School of Divinity and Director of the Youth and Family Ministry Program. Dr. Jean Minto is Chair of the English Department and a professor in the School of Liberal Arts and Sciences. Jean, Matt, Keith, thank you to all three of you for taking the time to talk about the core curriculum. So I thought we could jump right in to our our first, which has a little bit of history in it. Um, What would you say are the circumstances that prompted the discussion of changing the core curriculum at Cairn? Well, whenever a change like this takes place, the question that comes up is going to be, was there something wrong with the previous or the current curriculum? And I have to categorically say that is not what the case is. The current core, before we go into the one that will be implemented in the fall, started more than 10 years ago when Dr. Todd Williams came back as provost, and it was the first comprehensive evaluation of what was the foundational curriculum that all of our students would participate in. Prior to that time, we had just piecemealed general education requirements as we got state certification and those other kinds of things. But as I think most of you who would be listening know, um, program assessment, curriculum assessment is vital in higher education. And although the current core has had some tweaks over the years, there had been no comprehensive review. So that's what prompted this, that it was time for a comprehensive review. And the questions that, fo- that um, fostered that would be, what is it that the current generation of Karen students need when they come to this particular institution? So curriculum review is an ongoing process. We do that on the course level. We do it on the program level. And it was time to look at the foundational core curriculum to determine whether or not we are meeting the needs of the current generation of students coming to Cairn University. So it wasn't as if there was something wrong. We believed that the current core was was working well, but we also hadn't looked at it comprehensively. Tweaks, as I said, but not the whole core. And it's always healthy to go back and take a look at things in a fresh way, to focus on the purpose rather than just what we did last year. So. I applaud our administration, our president and provost for leading this effort. You always put much more energy and mental effort into something when you look at it in a new and fresh way. With the culture changing so quickly, it's really critically important that we do this. And it was a great exercise. 
So I'm really happy that we were able to do it. Well, let's get into then some of the meat of this. So what are really the uh, substantive changes? Um, you can kind of, uh, whoever wants to speak to this or several of you, you can compare kind of what it was to what it is or, and even some of the new specific, are there specific courses that are added? Are there some that have been taken away? What does it actually look like? I would say it was a really difficult process because the core that we had was so good. And we took a look and started to think about if we add something in, we're going to have to take something out. And it was a really difficult process, but a really good one. And I think where we came out on it was, was really healthy with a good balance between actually more Bible and theology than we had before with a very good, um, a very good perspective on global issues, on the church, history, and the arts, and addressing critical issues that students are grappling with. Yes, I would say what Matt just said is probably one of the most significant differences between what will going forward we'll call the old core and the new core is that there is that more global perspective and we see that in a number of if not new courses but the way current courses will be will be taught and the issues that will be in there um, and we have to remember that we are working with a set number of credits. Uh, we, we would all would have loved to have the core be much larger than it is, but we're working with 60 credits divided between two schools. You know, and that means we have to be strategic as far as, as you know, what Matt said. If you're going to add something, what's going to have to either be removed or perhaps embedded in some of the other courses. So it was a, it was a, it was a difficult process but it was a very important one given where we are in, in the global context. If we want to fulfill mm -hmm. our mission, which ends up saying that Caring University exists to educate students to serve Christ and the world, not just be professionally competent, but to serve Christ and the world. Yeah, I, I had a follow-up question on that. So that word global means lots of things to, to different people. Um, what, how are, are we thinking through that when you say that the curriculum um, has more of a global emphasis or it contains those kinds of components? What does that practically look like? There are a lot of practical implications for that. For many years, the literature and arts of the Western world has been a six credit sequence um, of uh, required courses for our students. That course has been expanded to look at the art and the literature from uh, cultures beyond the Western cultures. So we're reading Japanese writers, Chinese writers, writers from the uh, Indian subcontinent, uh, African writers, um, as well as African-American writers, and not just focusing on the traditional canon there. So I think, you know, we're seeing that kind of broader application in the exposure that our students have in these core courses. And, and on the heels of that, um... In the past, when church history has been dealt with, it has been largely church history in the West. And so one of the things that is being added is a history of global Christianity and looking at the um, development of the, the church worldwide. And obviously in a semester, you're going to be limited in terms of how much of that you can cover. But we thought it was important to uh, at least make an attempt and to approach that kind of church history 
getting students to think broader than they might be accustomed to uh, in terms of the church's activity around the world, both uh, in the past and, and currently. Yeah, I agree with, I just wanted to say, I agree with Keith and the incredible expansion of the church over the last 40 years into non-Western areas is just something students are pretty much unaware of, but it is incredible what God's doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Matt, you had mentioned that there was actually going to be an increase in the number of uh, Bible credits taken under the new, the new core? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we examined the core and each major will have one course that's just specifically designed for that major that will be a Bible and theology course. So we're very excited about it. One other kind of uh, uh, procedural question almost before we get to some real specifics of this. So we have you three with us, and I know that you were uh, a part of the committee. Was the committee just the three of you? Was it broader than you? What other kinds of input from other faculty and staff and schools um, uh, was uh, brought into this, other voices? Well, Greg Jensen was also a part of the committee. He's in Scotland right now working on his doctoral dissertation due back in August you know, to, to rejoin us um, here on campus. So he was obviously a part of the committee. Uh, the president is an ex officio member of the committee and of course his input and insight was important and of course the provost was. But there was also an expanded committee. Once the core core curriculum committee was almost at a point of saying we think we've got a, a good plan, then there was an expanded core which had representatives from all of the schools in the, in, in the university so that they could have some input too before it went to ALT or it went to you know, any kind of um, having the, the stamp of approval put on. So it did expand with, with much more input. Um, so going from the old to the new, um, are there any specific courses that are just brand new that every student at Cairn will be taking? Or is it not quite like that? Matt, you mentioned that there may be uh, some even tailored courses to the different schools and that sort of thing. But are there any hard and fast, like this course is brand new um, and is included? Right. Uh, what does that look like? And there are yes. new courses, right? We, first year, first semester, students will get two new courses. One will help them to manage their new college life with just real specific skills with time management and other things like that. But also in that first semester, a life and calling class. We've had elements of that before, but this is a three credit class that will help students to think about their own calling as a student and their place in God's program, looking at the story of redemption. So right in the first semester, they'll get some. I know Keith will probably want to mention the biblical perspectives course also. Yeah. And, and just to follow up on what Matt was saying about the life and calling uh, class, the reason that that is so important is so that students at least begin to be challenged to think about the fact that you're not simply at Cairn in order to prepare for your calling, but this is your calling right now. And to help them think through what it means to be a faithful steward of their lives and minds as they are fulfilling God's vocation for them as a student at Cairn. 
We also have a brand new first year course, uh, which is going to focus on civics and government and politics because of the fact that most of our students are coming to us with, with very few skills of how to think biblically about being a citizen. You know, and this was something that the, the president was concerned about, but also some of the board members were concerned about that um, our students needed to have a more robust understanding of being a believer in a world which is so politically charged. So this, this course is a brand new course also, and it is a first year course. That's great. Well, those are some really great specific highlights of some of the courses that students are taking. And I imagine if someone's listening to this and they graduated 20 years ago, in fact, I hear this a lot from people, can I come back and do it again? Because the changes that they've seen are, are really exciting and these courses are really, really intriguing and, and um, sound like they'd be very rich. So let's get to, so I do have a specific question for each of you. And it's interesting to me because I thought as we were um, thinking through how to structure this, I wanted to hit three key areas, biblical integration, uh, discipleship, and then also academic rigor and breadth of study. And I thought as a, as a lot of alumni have been away from Cairn for a long time, they may be thinking, so what are some of the real defining features of the university? And I imagine that if you listen to this, you're going to hear some of the key defining features about Karen and what continues to make uh, the university so unique. So let's start with the, the place of biblical integration. Keith, how does the new core uh, address or unfold uh, the a, a biblical integrated, integrated approach? Well, um, I just want to reiterate what Gene started out with. Um, we still have a very strong commitment. It's not as though this is a new thing in terms of biblical integration being added it's being continued and as has been discussed thinking through what do students need in the time that they are in and will be going into and so as uh, matt mentioned one of the courses that is being added is called biblical perspectives on contemporary issues and um, what this class is intended to do is to provide students with a, a biblical basis for the understanding of what is culture a theology of culture to begin with. And then on a rotating basis, every semester or every few years, there will be three or uh, four, probably three issues that are of significance in contemporary society. Things like um, race, racial relations, gender, sexuality, technology, and its place in our lives and its impact upon us how we make use of it. And um, what it is intended to do is to um, give students at least some initial tools to begin thinking about these various areas uh, from an explicitly biblical theological vantage point. And um, to help them not only to forge some of their own convictions on the basis of scripture, but to go be able to go into society and more confidently and um, more competently to interact with some very, at times volatile, sensitive, but um, pervasive societal issues. So that's, that's one thing that I'm really excited about that all of our students are going to have um, exposure to. Another area that um, Matt kind of touched on already is that I think is very good is 
every program being able to select a divinity course that um, the, the dean of that program thinks would be really, really good for their students as an elective. Uh, so, for example, we have an elective now called um, Technology and Christian Discipleship that I believe computer science majors, that is going to be their course. Uh, but it's not going to be limited to them, but every program is going to have this um, opportunity to select something from Bible and theology that will help them to delve more into something that will be related to their their future. Now, on the subject of um, discipleship, I know, um, Matt, if you could speak to this, that's become a real, uh, that has become a, a pervasively used word around the university and an intentionally used word. What does the new cur- curriculum, in what way is discipleship uh, for students folded in and what does that look like? Well, as many of our listeners will agree with, the Cairn University experience is one that transforms your life. I, I saw it in my life when I came to Cairn. I saw it in all three of my son's lives. The experience is just amazing to see how God works in the life of a person, not just to gain knowledge, but to change your life. And right from the start, the goal is to help every student to know their calling from God to be an excellent student not just to focus on preparation for some future job, but right now to see God working in them, to develop personal character, to become a person who strives for Christ-likeness in every area of their lives. And the curriculum, it is designed to help students gain knowledge, but also the skill and experience to make a genuine difference in the world, not just in the future, but right now. So. There is a huge focus on discipleship throughout the curriculum, but I have to say all throughout the university, among every faculty member, every administrator, all the staff, it's an environment that is very powerful and transforming. A lot of the changes that we've talked about in the core have been prompted by changes in the culture. And as we all know, the culture is changing faster than ever, but there's a widening gap between truly biblical understanding and worldview and the culture. There's much lower biblical literacy. So the needs are greater. And in the core, we're addressing key issues that help students in their discipleship process, issues of culture and understanding it, communication, the arts and history, critical thinking skills, awareness of government, the global perspective, helping students to know themselves and their calling right now as a student and in the future, their calling as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've, we sense that we're preparing a new generation to take a stand for Christ in a deep commitment to him. And we're very optimistic about the future, but I have to say that we are preparing students to have courage and fortitude to stand up even if persecuted. That's our real goal, is that they would have a deep foundation in God's word and in every area of study, they would be able to understand that this is all God's world and that he has a purpose for them now and in the future. So 
Another big part of it is the godly mentoring, which will take place in the core, in the curriculum, in the classroom, but way outside the classroom as well, in every co-curricular activity. We, we sense that many of the students have not experienced a discipling parent relationship. And in a sense, we feel like this is something that we can offer them is while they're at Cairn to build deep, intentional relationships with mentors who can guide them and that will be a model to them throughout their life. That's great. Very, very exciting. Um, when we come to the subject then of academic rigor, uh, Gene, let me pose this to you. Um, I, Without fail, when I talk with uh, alumni, they uh, comment on how rigorous the academic experience at Cairn that they had uh, was. And so I know that's been a hallmark of ours, and I imagine that would continue. Um, so how does the new core make continue to make space for academic rigor and also for a broad education in a variety of areas, even though we focus so heavily on um, biblical studies and integration and the major areas? Um, how does the new core allow for all these things? That's a good question to ask, and I'm really heartened to hear that in your conversations with alum that they're still saying that the experience that they had here, regardless of how long ago it was, was an academically rigorous one. And that has been our intention. So it, it's one, obviously, that goes uh, far beyond just the core curriculum. But we do lay the foundation in the core. Most of our students are going to experience a good portion of the core as they come as freshmen before they get too heavily involved in their particular um, program major. You know, so how do we go about uh, structuring that? Well, there are a number of different things that we use. First of all, we are an accredited institution by Middle States Commission on Higher Education. And it has rigorous accreditation standards as far as what academic rigor should look like and, and also as well as what types of skills and content should be a part of every student's experience and those accreditation standards were part of our guidelines for example um, we have to have quantitative as well as as well as qualitative reasoning and we have to demonstrate that in our courses and that was one of our discussions well where are we going to place that in the core where is that going to be as far as um, is it is it going to be a particular course is it going to be a, you know sort of spread out against others so we look at the accreditation standards um, and, and their requirements. And then, of course, there are the state requirements. And the state says that a baccalaureate degree has to have a certain number of credits in what they consider the liberal arts. And how we define that is to divide the liberal arts between the School of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the School of Divinity, because the state of Pennsylvania will allow that kind of liberal education. So that breadth of education is required by the state in order for us to be licensed to even confer degrees upon our, our students. So those things are critically important. And then, of course, I think, you know, our own internal standards. I remember, you know, being part of the first uh, core curriculum committee uh, back a number of years ago. And one of the things that Dr. Williams uh, reiterated more than one time in that committee, that committee was that we are not camp with books. You know, in other words, you know, you know yes, you know, when, when kids go to camp, summer camp, you know, we want them to learn some Bible study skills, but we are not camp with books. We, we want to have a rigorous education um, so that they are able to 
fulfill what our mission statement is, being able to educate students to serve Christ in the church, in society, in the world as biblically minded, well-educated, and professionally competent men and women of character. And that mission statement has guided everything that we have done as far as you know, making sure that there is rigor as well as a broad academic education. And once the core is fulfilled, the programs then build on that. We have scaffolding, we have, you know, first level, third level, second level, third level. So the, the academic rigor is, it, it's a part of the entire experience at Cairn, not just, not just the core. You know, the broad academic exposure is part of the entire curriculum at Cairn and not just the core, but it's the core lays that foundation for them. Well, to, to wrap up in this portion of the discussion, then I, I wanted to maybe in a sense kind of pull back a little bit more broadly now again and pose this to any of you who might have something to say. Um, as, so given this new core, how do you see Cairn faculty being equipped to provide a truly unique and biblical an opportunity, but opportunity for a unique kind of education. What's the connection between the new core um, and what a student at Cairn is going to get that they, they really would have a hard time finding at other places? That's a really good question, and it's one that is foremost in our minds whenever we, first of all, hire new faculty, whether it is adjunct part-time or full-time, and then how we go about equipping faculty once they are here. Um, and one of the questions that we always are asking in an interview process has to do with biblical integration of that individual candidate's subject area to their teaching. You know, I, I think in the School of Divinity, that's almost a, you know, it, it's, a, it's a done deal. They are, they're, they're hired because of their expertise in particular areas of Bible and theology, but we are sometimes challenged in finding an appropriate science professor, for example, or an appropriate literature professor, for example, or a business person. So that biblical integration part is part of the, you know, even the hiring process. And then we have developed a mentoring um, component also so that seasoned faculty can come alongside of new faculty and you know help to work through that biblical integration of subject area and um, you know in Bible and theology and that's important and I know in my school in the School of Liberal Arts and Sciences in every single course there is a course objective that that talks about developing a biblical worldview as we look at this particular subject area. So, you know, that, that is, you know, across the board in the School of Liberal Arts and Sciences. And Nate, I would say that there's something that extends even beyond the faculty that is included with the administration and staff and the faculty is their commitment to Jesus Christ. It is, it is very noticeable and more is caught than taught. And I think that our students will have an excellent academic experience, but they have models at every turn of people who love the Lord Jesus and who are committed to the university's mission statement. It's really remarkable. And I think it creates a very unique culture that really can't be imitated. And I would, I would add that um, 
it was true before the new core, and I think maybe it's even enhanced now that, um, as, as Gene was saying, it really requires anyone who is going to become part of the faculty to be in some respect interdisciplinary and holistic um, and collegial. I, I think that one of the one of the benefits of Cairn that I have enjoyed in the time that I've been here is I really enjoy working with the people that I work with. And I am uh, challenged and instructed uh, by the overlap. I love the I love the people in the School of Divinity, but I also enjoy the opportunity that exists to spend time with people outside of my particular discipline. And I think that we are committed to modeling that at the level of our interactions with one another. And that benefits the, the student body as well as us, as we realize that our, our responsibility is not simply to stay in our particular lanes of specialization. We do acknowledge where our, limit, our limits are, but we, we cannot afford and nor would it be beneficial for anyone if we were to see ourselves as being so strictly limited to a particular field that we ourselves nor our students were able to see how does this relate to the totality of God's world and above all to God and what he's doing in the world. I'm getting back to assessment of this, all of our programs have that kind of objective as a part of program goals and objectives. So that means our courses, as well as program objectives, are continually measuring that um, aspect of developing a biblical worldview. And that means having faculty who know how to do that. And I think Keith's comment is an important one. The the ability for our faculty to think inter, as, as interdisciplinary men and women and be able to provide that kind of integration. And uh, therefore, you know, it is something that is a hallmark of the Cairn experience that is not going to be easily replicated somewhere else. Thanks, that's, that's really great. And um, I would certainly echo that um, even as you're talking, I've, I've enjoyed so much the interaction the three of us have had. Um, you know, uh, Keith and uh, Matt, you're veterans with this podcasting we've been doing and have had the opportunity. And um, one of the three of you, I won't mention who, but actually was a former professor of mine. So I had plenty of opportunity to learn from her. And I'm really, really grateful for that. Well, that so. gave it away. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, thank, thank you, each of you, Drs. Mikulak, Plummer, and Minto, for talking about the new core curriculum with me. And certainly, thanks for your work and service at Cairn. Each of you has been a part of the university for some time, some of you quite a long time. In fact, uh, we did a little math at the beginning of the podcast prior to recording it. And between the three of you, between your time as students, Gene and Matt, um, and your time here, Keith, as a faculty member, with all the years as faculty and studying, there's a cumulative 71 years of association with the university, which uh, that is really something. So if you're listening to this and you want to hear a little more about each of these three professors, stay tuned after the podcast for a modified listing of Karen 10. 
Thanks for being with us and thanks for listening. So normally what we do, uh, Gene, Keith, and Matt, is when I interview alumni, we have the Cairn 10, which are 10 questions that I ask the same 10 alumni. I think Matt has done this. Um, but given that uh, we have a, a, a mixed group here today, I thought we would shorten it, plus there's three of you, um, and alter the questions ever so slightly just to give people a little bit more information or insight into uh, your particular uh, proclivities with respect to reading and some other things. Are you ready? Ready. I am ready. 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 So let's, on my screen, I have Gene, and then I have Keith, and then I have Matt. So let's go in uh, that order here. Okay. Uh, number one, what's the last book you finished reading? You know that that's a, that's a tough question because I'm reading all the time, and usually more than one book at a time. But what I chose was a short little book by Tolkien called Rover Random. It was one that he was not he didn't intend to publish it. It was a story that was written for his son, but it's a delightful little tale. Um, so that was the last one that I finished reading. The last one I finished reading is called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament by uh, Pastor Mark Vrogop. I actually just finished Engaging God's World again. I love that book. And we're using that as the textbook for Life and Calling class for the freshmen. All right, back to Eugene with uh, number two. What's one of, and I put one of the qualifier in there because I thought asking you what is the favorite would just, with three uh, voracious readers would probably induce all kinds of fits and, and, and concerns. So what is one of your favorite books? Lord of the Rings. I reread it every summer. It's my reward to myself when I enter my grades. Blaise Pascal's Ponce. I really like reading the Bible supernaturally by John Piper. All right, number three, um, we get a, a why with this one, but uh, which course that you took over your entire education experience? So I'm talking preschool all the way through as far as you've gone here now. Um, which course that you took over your entire education experience affected you the most and why? For me, it was a course in my master's program, post-colonial world literature. And the reason why it affected me so much is because I was shocked at the treatment of Christianity by modern African writers. It actually led to the topic for my, my master's thesis, which was the treatment of Christianity in post-colonial African writers. Uh, gave me a, a completely different perspective on missions and um, a, a different tale of what happened when the missionaries came. One of, of the most effective things in my education was also my master's, my master's of divinity. It was taking a class called uh, Sin and Salvation taught by Dr. John Feinberg. And one of the reasons that it was so, um, it had such an impact on me was number one, I used to love to watch Dr. Feinberg think when he would so methodically work through something before the class. And to me, it was like a thing of beauty. And I can recall thinking, I want to, to be like that. But it was also memorable for me because that course really provoked a crisis of faith in me having to do with issues related to the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. 
that was uh, very, very difficult to go through. But it was that course, and I'm very grateful now, but it it was very, very tumultuous um, then. But yeah, that's a memorable part of my education. My experience at Cairn was life-changing for me. And I had so many great professors, Dr. John Kaywood, Miss May Stewart. But I think the one course that affected me the most was my New Testament Greek course taught by Dr. Paul Carlene. It was his dedication to accurately dividing the word of truth and his personal commitment to the Lord, I think that impacted me the most. The course required great discipline, but I saw that in Dr. Carlene. I really admired that. Okay, moving to some lighter topics. Maybe now, uh, maybe not. Is there one film that you would suggest everyone see in his or her lifetime? Uh, what would that be and why? Fiddler on the Roof. And the reason why is because it has a great study of faith and family and traditions and their value and when old traditions must give way to new traditions and the struggle that is there in the individual. Um, and of course, you know, there are certain aspects that talk about the, the tension between Christianity and, and Judaism. And of course there's great music. For me, uh, one of them would be Signs by M. Night Shyamalan. And not only because it was filmed in Bucks County, but um, because I think it was a very creative way of dealing with ultimate existential issues about what kind of world are we living in? Are we living in a world that is superintended uh, or are we living in a world of just chaos? And though Shyamalan is not a, a Christian, um, some of the ways that he treated those things I thought was, was brilliant. So that's, that's one. And I love Les Mis. I oh, think yeah, it yeah. illustrates the Wait, which trans- version? I love them all. I love them all. <laughs> I just can't get enough. And I just love the transforming power of forgiveness and love that's demonstrated. Finally, if you had an afternoon free, whenever that would be, and you could do anything at all, what would you do? In addition to reading, um, genealogical research on the family genealogists and I've been building our family tree for a number of years and that can be a tedious process so you need a chunk of time but it's fascinating Um, and also right now brushing up on my my Hebrew my reading and my conversational skills in Hebrew well other than reading too um, I would want to be able to get together a group of friends that I have not seen for some time share a meal and just uh, talk and laugh and um, pray together. A couple of people that I am separated from, you know, just moving in different areas that I would just love to bring together and enjoy each other's company again. And there's no question for me, I would love to have an afternoon to hang out with Michelle and my three kids and their wives, and especially my grandkids, which has been kind of hard right now with the stay-at-home order. Ladies and gentlemen, the Karen Five of Doctors Minto, Plummer, and Mikolak. Thank you.